Chapter Six, Part One of the Metamorphosis or Golden Ass. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Metamorphosis or Golden Ass by Apuleius, translated by Thomas Taylor. Chapter Six, Part One. In the meantime. Psyche was driven about from place to place, variously wandering, and with restless mind inquiring after her husband, her desire of finding him increasing in proportion to the difficulty of the search. For, though she had incurred his anger, she hoped she should be able to appease him by suppliant prayers, if she could not allure him by the tender blandishments of a wife. Perceiving, therefore, a temple on the summit of a lofty mountain, how can I tell, said she, but this may be the residence of my lord? And immediately she directed her hasty steps thither, incited by hope and desire, though spent with unceasing toil. And now, having gained the highest ridges of the mountain, she enters the temple, in which she saw ears of corn, some of which lay in a heap, some were twisted into garlands, and some were mingled with ears of barley. Here, likewise, were scythes, and all the instruments of harvest, but scattered in a confused and careless manner, and thrown, as is usually the case in the heat of summer, out of the weary hands of the reapers. Psyche, on seeing this confusion, curiously separated the mingled heaps, and properly arranged them, when separated, believing that she ought not to neglect the temples and ceremonies of any divinity, but that she should implore the benevolent pity of all the gods. The bountiful Ceres, whose temple this was, finds her thus anxiously and sedulously employed, and addresses her at a distance as follows. Alas, miserable Psyche, Venus, full of rage and indignation, inquires after thy footsteps with anxious search, dooms thee to the most severe punishments, and importunately demands revenge, with all the powers of her divinity. Canst thou therefore now busy thyself about my affairs, or think of anything else but thy own safety? Then Psyche, throwing herself at the feet of the goddess, watering them with abundant weeping, and sweeping the ground with her disheveled locks, entreated pardon of her divinity with numerous prayers. I beseech thee, says she, by thy fruit-bearing right hand, by the joyful ceremonies of harvest, by the occult sacred concerns of the cystae, by the winged car of thy ministrant dragons, the furrows of the Sicilian soil, the rapacious chariot, and the detaining earth, by the dark descending ceremonies attending the marriage of Persephone, and the ascending rites which accompanied the luminous discovery of thy daughter, and by other arcana which Eleusis, the Attic sanctuary, conceals in profound silence, support the soul of Psyche thy suppliant. Suffer me to conceal myself in that heap of corn for a few days, till the raging anger of so great a goddess is mitigated by time or at least permit me to stay here to my bodily powers, weakened by long continuing labor, become invigorated by an interval of rest. To this prayer Ceres thus replied, I am moved by your weeping supplications, and desire to assist you, but I cannot with propriety incur the displeasure of the kindred goddess, to whom I am united by an ancient league of friendship. Depart therefore from this temple immediately, and take it in good part, my not detaining and making you a prisoner. 
Psyche, being thus repulsed, contrary to her hopes, and oppressed with a double sorrow, retired from the temple, and in a dark grove of the valley, beneath the mountain, beheld a fane of elegant structure, and, unwilling to omit any way, though dubious, which might lead to better hope, and determined to employ the pardon of every god, she suppliantly approached the sacred doors. Here she perceived splendid gifts, and parts of garments interwoven with golden letters, fixed to the branches of the trees and the pillars of the temple, the letters signifying that these were votive offerings for the benefits received, and exhibiting the name of the goddess to whom they were dedicated. Then Psyche, throwing herself on her knees and embracing the altar, having first wiped away her tears, thus prayed, O sister and wife of the mighty Jupiter, whether thou dost possess the ancient temples of Samos, which glories in thy querulous infancy, or in thy nurture, or whether thou dost frequent the blessed seats of the happy Carthage, which adores thee as a virgin, riding through the heavens in a lion-yoked car, or dost preside over the illustrious walls of the Argives, near the banks of Inachus, which celebrate thee, now married to the thunderer and the queen of the gods. O oh, thou, whom all the east venerates under the name of Zygia, and all the west denominates Lucina, be thou, Juno, the saviour of this my extreme misfortune, and deliver me, weary with the toils of such long-continued labours, from the fear of my present impending danger, for I know that thou art accustomed voluntarily to relieve the distresses of the pregnant. Juno immediately presented herself to Psyche, supplicating, in all the august dignity of her divinity, and said, I would most willingly have my daughter-in-law, Venus, yield to your prayers, but decency will not permit me to act contrary to the will of Venus, whom I have always loved as my own daughter. Besides, the law forbids me to receive into my protection any fugitive servant without the consent of her mistress. But Psyche, now terrified with this second shipwreck of her fortune, and despairing of being able to recover her volatile husband, having laid aside all hopes of safety, thus consulted with her own thoughts. What other relief for my sorrows can now be either attempted or procured, since even goddesses cannot, though willing, afford me assistance? To what place shall I again direct my wandering steps, when entangled in such inextricable nets? Concealed in what habitations or darkness can I escape the inevitable eyes of the mighty Venus? Assume, therefore, a masculine mind, my soul. Bravely renounce all thy vain little hopes. Voluntarily surrender thyself into the hands of thy mistress, and try, though late, to mitigate her rage by the modesty of thy behavior. Besides, thou mayest perhaps find him in the house of his mother, whom thou hast so long sought for in vain. Being thus persuaded to enter on her dubious duty, or rather certain destruction, she considered with herself how she should begin her supplications to Venus. Venus, however, refusing to employ earthly remedies in her inquiries after Psyche, returned to heaven. She orders the chariots to be made ready, which Vulcan, having fabricated with subtle skill, arched like the horned moon, and precious with a waste of gold, had presented her before the consummation of her marriage. 
four white doves, out of many that nestled about the bedchamber of their mistress, joyfully turning about their painted necks, assumed the yoke, decorated with gems, and having taken up their mistress, gladly fly with her to heaven. The chariot of the goddess was attended by a flock of sparrows, wantoning with loud chirpings, and by other birds who sing sweetly, all of them announcing the approach of Venus in the most mellifluous notes. The clouds give way, the heavens unfold themselves to their daughter, and the lofty ether receives the goddess with joy. Nor does the singing family of Venus fear opposing eagles or rapacious hawks. Then, immediately, she directed her steps to the royal palace of Jupiter, and proudly demanded the necessary assistance of the vocal god Mercury. Nor did the azure bow of Jupiter refuse assent. Then Venus, accompanied by Mercury, joyfully descended from heaven, and in her flight thus anxiously addressed him, My Arcadian brother, you well know that your sister Venus never did anything without the presence of Mercury, nor are you ignorant how long I have sought in vain for my lurking female slave. Hence nothing remains to be done but for you to proclaim her in a public manner, and propose a reward to him that shall find her. Take care, therefore, that my commands are speedily executed, and clearly describe the marks by which she may be known, that no one may plead ignorance for the crime of unlawfully concealing her. At the same time she gave him a small volume, in which the name of Psyche was written, and every other particular respecting her, after which she immediately returned home. Nor was Mercury negligent in the performance of her commands, for, running everywhere, through all nations, he cried, in the following words, If any one can seize in her flight, or discover where a fugitive king's daughter, a servant of Venus, and of the name of Psyche, lays concealed, let him or her repair to Mercury, the crier, at the temple of Venus, Myrtia, and receive, as a reward of the discovery, seven sweet kisses from Venus herself, and one exquisitely delicious touch of her charming tongue. Mercury, having thus executed the proclamation of Venus, the desire of such a mighty reward, excited ardent endeavors in all mortals to obtain it, and this circumstance took away from Psyche all thoughts of any further delay. And now, as she approached the gates of her mistress, she was met by one of the servants of Venus, named Custom, who immediately exclaimed, as loud as she was able, At length, then, most wicked slave, do you begin to know that you have a mistress? And do you likewise pretend to be ignorant of the great fatigue we have endured in endeavouring to find you out? But it is well that you have fallen into my hands, for now you have entered within the very gates of hell, to receive, without delay, the punishment of such obstinate contumacy. After she had thus reviled Psyche, she, audaciously twisted her hands in her hair, and dragged her along without resistance. But as Venus, as soon as she beheld her, thus brought into her presence, burst into a loud laugh, such as agitates those who are transported with vehement rage, and, shaking her head, At length, says she, have you thought proper to come and pay your respects to your mother-in-law? Or did you rather come to see your sick husband? who is yet dangerously ill through the wound which you gave him. But take courage, for your reception will be of such as a good mother-in-law ought to give, 
Where then, says she, are my servants, solicitude and sorrow? These, immediately attending, in obedience to the commands of their mistress, scourged and afflicted other torments on the miserable psyche, and afterwards brought her again into the presence of Venus. Then Venus began laughing. Behold, says she, her swelling belly moves my compassion, since it is through this that she is to make me a happy grandmother. Happy indeed am I, who, in the very flower of my age, shall be called a grandmother, and the son of a vile slave shall be dignified with the appellation of the grandson of Venus. Though indeed I foolishly call him my grandson, for marriage is unequal, and besides this, made in a village, without any witnesses, and without the father's consent, can never be deemed legitimate, so that thy offspring must be a bastard, even if I should suffer thee to bring him into the light. Having thus said, she flew upon her, rent her garments in many places, tore her hair, beat her on the head, and severely chastised her in various ways. Then, taking wheat, barley, millet, poppy-seed, vetches, lentils, and beans, and mixing them in one globular heap, she thus spoke to her. You seem to me a servant so deformed as to be incapable of deserving your lover by any other means than the diligent performance of menial employments. I will, therefore, make trial of your abilities as a housewife. Take and separate this mass of seeds, and having properly disposed the several grains apart from each other, give me a proof of your expedition by finishing the task before evening. Thus spoke Venus, and immediately after departed to a wedding supper. But Psyche, astonished at the prodigious command, sat silent and stupid, without moving a hand to the disordered and inexorable mass. Then a little ant, a native of the fields, vehemently commiserating such prodigious difficulty and labor, and execrating the stepmother's cruelty towards the wife of the mighty god Cupid, rapidly summoned together the populous tribe of neighboring ants, and thus addressed them, Take pity, ye active nurslings of the all-parent earth, take pity, and with prompt celerity assist the wife of love, a beautiful young woman who is now in a dangerous situation. Immediately the six-footed people rushed forth to her assistance in undulating tribes, and with the utmost diligence separated the whole heap, grain by grain, and having properly sorted the confused mingled species, rapidly vanished from her sight. But Venus, on the commencement of night, returns from the nuptial banquet, moist with wine, fragrant with rich ointments, and having her body elegantly bound with shining roses. And as soon as she saw the diligence which had been exerted on the wonderful labor, Most vile creature, said she, this is not the work of your hands, but of his, whom, to your own and his own misfortune, you have pleased. And, throwing her a piece of household bread, she retired to rest. In the meantime, Cupid was very closely confined to his bedchamber, in the interior part of the house, partly lest he should injure his wound by petulant luxury, and partly lest he should associate with his beloved. Thus the lovers, being separated from each other under one roof, passed away, exhausted with grief, the cruel night. But as soon as Aurora had ushered in the morning, Venus, having called Psyche, thus addressed her. 
Do you perceive yonder grove, which stretches itself to a considerable distance along the margin of a river, whose deepest whirlpools look down upon a neighboring fountain? There shining sheep of a golden color wander about, feeding without a shepherd. I think it fit that you should bring me immediately a flock of that precious wool, whatever may be the difficulty of procuring it. Psyche willingly rose, but not with any intention of executing this command, but to procure rest from her misfortunes, by hurling herself headlong from the rock into the river. But when she came to the brink, a reed, the sweet nurse of music, being divinely inspired, thus prophetically spoke in a soft and harmonious murmurs, Psyche, exercised in mighty sorrows, neither pollute my sacred waters by thy most miserable death, nor yet venture to approach the formidable sheep on the opposite bank, while, borrowing heat from the burning radiance of the sun, they are transported with savage rage, and are the destruction of mortals, either by their sharp horns, stony foreheads, or venomous bites. But when the meridian sun has driven the cattle to the shade, and the serene spirit of the flood lulled them to rest, then you may hide yourself under yonder lofty plane tree, which drinks of the same river with myself, and as soon as the sheep have mitigated their fury, on shaking the leaves of the neighboring grove, you will find the woolly gold everywhere sticking to the roots of the trees. Thus the simple and humane reed taught the wretched Psyche how to accomplish this dangerous enterprise with safety. Psyche, therefore, observing all the directions, found her obedience was not in vain, but returned to Venus with her bosom full of the delicate golden fleece. Yet she was not able to procure the approbation of her mistress by this her second perilous labor. But Venus, smiling bitterly with severe eyebrows, thus addressed her, I am not ignorant that you are not the performer of this task also, but I will now try whether you are endowed with a courageous mind and singular prudence. Do you see the summit of yonder lofty mountain, from which the dusky waters of a black fountain fall, and which, confined in the channel of the neighboring valley, irrigate the Stygian marches, and supply the hoarse streams of Cocytus? Bring me immediately in this little urn, liquid dew drawn from the most inmost influx of the lofty fountain. Thus speaking, she gave her a vessel of polished crystal, and at the same time threatened her more severely than before. But Psyche, with the utmost celerity, ascended to the very summit of the mountain, presuming that there, at least, she should find the period of her most miserable life. However, when she arrived at the confines of the vertex, she saw the deadly difficulty of the vast undertaking. For a rock enormously lofty, and inaccessibly rugged, vomited from its middle the horrid waters of the fountain which immediately falling headlong in winding streams, rushed suddenly through a narrow channel into the neighboring valley. On the right and left hand they creep through hollow rocks, over which the fierce dragons stretch out their long necks, and with unwinking vigilance keep a perpetual watch. And now the vocal waters shook themselves, and exclaimed as they rolled along, Depart! What do you attempt? Look and see what you do! Take care! Fly, or you will perish. Psyche, therefore, petrified through the impossibility of accomplishing the task, 
though she was present in body, was absent in mind, and being perfectly buried under the huge bulk of the inextricable danger, was even deprived of the benefit of tears, the last solace of the wretched. But the sorrow of the innocent soul is not concealed from the penetrating eyes of Providence. For the rapacious eagle, that royal bird of Jupiter, on a sudden flew to her with expanded wings, calling to mind his ancient obligations to Cupid, for enabling him to elevate to heaven the Phrygian cupbearer, Ganymedes, to Jupiter, and, reverencing the divinity of Cupid in the labors of his wife, deserted the lofty paths of Jupiter, and bringing with him seasonable assistance, thus addressed her. Can you, in other respects, of an undesigning disposition, and unexperienced in attempts of this kind, ever hope to steal one drop of this most holy and no less terrible fountain? Have you not heard, at least, that these Stygian waters are formidable even to Jupiter himself, and that, as you swear by the divinity of the gods, so they are accustomed to swear by the majesty of Styx? But give me that little urn. Immediately, therefore, taking it in haste, and poising it on his moving wings, he sailed between the cheeks of raging teeth and the three-forked vibrating tongues of the dragons, and steering his course to the right and to the left, drew off the reluctant waters, which previously admonished him that he might depart in safety, because he pretended that Venus herself wanted some of the water, and had ordered him to procure it. And on this account his access to the fountain was facilitated. Psyche, therefore, joyfully receiving the full urn, returned with the utmost celerity to Venus. Yet she was not able, even by the accomplishment of this dangerous enterprise, to appease the anger of the raging goddess. For, threatening her with still more severe endurance, she thus addressed her, a smile, the harbinger of ruin, accompanied her words. You appear to me to be a profound and malevolent magician, or you never could, with so much dexterity, have performed my commands. But there is one task more, my dear, which you ought to perform. Take this box, she immediately gave it to her, and direct your course to the infernal regions and the deadly palace of Pluto. Then, presenting the box to Persephone, say, Venus requests you to send her a small portion of your beauty, at least as much as may be sufficient for one short day for she has consumed all the beauty she possessed, through the attention which she pays to her diseased son. But return with the utmost expedition, for it is necessary that I should adorn myself with the beauty of Persephone, as I must go to the theatre of the gods. End of chapter 6, part 1